Take your Bibles today and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. It's hard to believe we're in the second month of the new year. I just, it's, it's amazing how quickly time passes by. And I'll tell you what's really amazing for you folks is to realize that this term, not just our, this term here, the second term, you've got 12 weeks to go. Time goes very, very quickly. Uh, by the way, the older you get, the more quick, quickly it travels by. And uh, we are reminded to redeem the time that God gives us. As I prayed about what to speak on here at the beginning of the semester, and I knew about this back during the break, and Dr. Getcher talked to me, and I said, what would be a, a, a big help or a greatest help to someone as they're starting off the semester, as they're looking forward to what the Lord would have for them in the time coming up? And I guess what I want you to realize is that you are entering into a race. Now, it is not a race that is a sprint. The Christian life really is a marathon. And even a year, you know, you can say, you, we could have a great day, but how are you going to do for this week? How will you do for the month? How will you do for the term? How will you do for the two terms? Then how will you do for the summer? It's a longer period of time, and you want to be cognizant of that. Uh, how will you run your race? Will you run it well? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27 is our text this morning. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, to follow along with me as I read. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we at incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means what I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. The text says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for your help in these next 30 minutes or so. I pray this will be a help, a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge. Lord, I acknowledge publicly that I desire your help. I prayed and asked for it this morning. I know Dr. Getch has prayed for chapel. I know my wife's prayed for chapel. I know I've got some friends who pray for me when I speak that have prayed for this. And Lord, we just ask for your help. We know you're here because where two or three are gathered together, you're there in the midst. And so, Lord, I pray that you will use the words from the perfect Word of God to impact us. And I pray that we will do a little bit better at running the race you placed us in for having been here today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have always loved sports. Uh, I don't watch a lot of sports unless I'm having a little bit of exercise time. I did get to watch the recorded version of the second game, the Rams 49ers, after the Sunday evening service with all the commercials taken out. It goes really fast. For those of you who don't know this, at a football game that lasts three to three and a half hours, the actual action time is about 18 minutes. So it took longer than that because it watched from play to play, but it was much, much faster than watching it in real lifetime. And uh, that was, that I enjoyed watching that. That was of interest to me. Um, but I love playing sports. 
Uh, my dad was a good athlete, and uh, he was a very good high school baseball player, played American Legion ball, played college ball, and he taught me baseball. Uh, I had a love for basketball. I had a love for football. And from the time I was in fourth grade, all the way through high school, I played football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring. We had a large Christian school, uh, about 1,100 students, and we played CIF ball, and it was, it was a lot of fun. When I went off to college, I played intramural like you did, but when I played intramural, I went to a school that had 5,000 students, and I played basketball and I played softball there and enjoyed that. Made the school championship games in both, both sports, lost both championship games, but uh, still had great memories of playing those sports. <clears throat> Anything else that was competitive, I enjoyed. I loved to play ping pong. I loved to play racquetball. Uh, bowling, not so much. One of my first dates with Mrs. R, we went bowling and she beat me. <laughs> I did not speak to her for approximately three weeks and uh, after that humiliating situation. But I remember that there at the college we were working at, they had a small bowling alley. It was a big thing to me to get trophies in those sports. Starting in elementary school, maybe for most valuable offensive player, I don't think I ever got MVP defensive player, to make an all-league team, a highest scoring average, top batting average, and get those trophies. It was a big thing. After a period of time, I was in speech contest, so I got trophies at camp, and my dresser got too full for the trophies. And my dad built a ledge around the room, and I started placing them in those, on that ledge around the room. And I'll just say this. Those are corruptible trophies. And the day came, probably 10 or 15 years after I left home, my dad said, son, I'm turning your old bedroom into an office, and what do you want to do with those trophies? And I didn't think you needed to see a trophy in my office for seventh grade free throw contest. I just said, dad, throw them away. Just toss them. They didn't matter. They were corruptible. They don't really count. Now, despite the fact that I played all those sports, there was one sport that I never won a trophy in. Furthermore, I never won a ribbon in it. I never won honorable mention. I don't even think they'd give me a participation prize. And that was in track and field. Now, I've run a lot because when you play sports, they make you run laps. They make you do wind sprints in football, out to the 40 and back to the, to the goal line, back to the 40, back to the goal line, maybe with some push-ups there. And I'll just tell you this, I hated running because I am not built for running. I have a problem, and that is I have very short legs. My sleeve length on my arms is 37 inches. My inseam in my pants is only 32 inches. So I built very similar to an orangutan. <laughs> they are not known for running fast. So I kid you not, I could run for a long time. I've run nine miles without stopping. Oftentimes run four or five miles. Back in the days when I jogged before the knees gave out. But I never ran fast. But there is a guy who is really, really fast. If you follow the Olympics at all, you know his name. His name is Usain Bolt. I think we have a picture of him here. And he's making his trademark symbol 
which is supposed to be a lightning bolt. Usain Bolt was an unbelievable runner. In fact, there he is at the Beijing Olympics. Right now, Usain Bolt has the world record for the 100-meter dash. He has a world record for the 200-meter dash. He has a world record for the 4x100 relay in which he ran a 100-meter dash. He was an eight-time Olympic gold medalist in sprinting. He was an 11-time world champion. Hence, his nickname was Lightning Bolt. He has really long legs, <laughs> starting just below his armpits, and uh, <laughs> he was really, really fast. Now, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul here in this text, who used many athletic applications in the Scripture, talked about a race. He said, we are told to run that we may obtain. Now, sometimes when little kids play, maybe t-ball, they don't keep score. I hated games like that. I always wanted to keep score, and I wanted to win. I would sometimes stack the games. Maybe I would take two of my friends who are pretty good sports, let's say the three of us would play the five of you. And then when we won, we'd feel really good, they'd feel really bad. That was awesome. <laughs> but I always wanted to keep score. I'm not a big fan of participation trophies. Well, I was there. How'd you do? I don't know. I was on the team. No, Paul says we are to run that we may obtain. To run. I preached a lot of churches, and some of the older churches, a lot of times they'll have an oak board up front. Sometimes they'll list the songs on one side. On the other side, they will list their attendance. Sometimes they'll list an offering, the little slots you can slide numbers in. I suppose that's a way to measure what's going on. But in reality, that's not how we measure success in our life. Because God does not ask us to be better than everyone else. God asked us to be the best that we can be. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. God is going to hold us accountable for our gifts and our opportunities. Doing the best you could do. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. But if there was ever a winner when it comes to Christian life, it was the Apostle Paul. And in these four verses, I think he gives us three things that we can emulate, that we can copy, that we ought to strive to have in our life so we can win the race that God has placed us on. The first thing we see here in verse 24, we see that winners contend. Winners contend. So run that ye may obtain. We're to win, run in such a way that we're seeking to win the prize. Winning the prize takes planning. It takes preparation. It takes perspiration. And maybe most importantly, it takes perseverance. Keep on keeping on. I commend you if you came back for the first semester. Some are here for the first semester of a couple dozen of you. I asked someone the other day about a young lady who helped me when I'd have people over to my home, and I'd 
She did a good job. I said, I haven't seen her. And someone said she didn't come back. And I don't know the situation. I'm going to write her a note and tell her I thought about her. But perseverance. Keep on keeping on. A great preacher of yesteryear said one of the great thoughts of the Christian life is don't quit. Don't give up. Hard times will come, but we'll be content. The name or the motto for my high school where I grew up was the contenders. And that's taken from Jude, verse 3, where it says we are to earnestly contend for the faith. Are we earnestly contending to do what God would have us to do? Or are we okay with just, eh, good enough? When that temptation comes, remember what the Scripture says in Psalm 16, verse 3, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Let's contend. I challenge you to contend in your classes. I challenge you to contend in your daily walk with God. I challenge you to contend in your witness. And by the way, it's not always easy. I was out making visits with my wife on Saturday. We had one of the most unique visits we ever had. I can't even go into all the details because it wouldn't be appropriate to this audience. But it was an older gentleman, and he wasn't happy at all. And my wife and I walked away from the door. We've been here 25. We said we've never had a visit like that. We just try to be nice and, you know, go on from there. He did come Sunday, and he had a better spirit on Sunday. Praise the Lord. He was in our class. But it was really interesting. You kind of walk away and go, wow. We just brought you some homemade food for my wife. I've never met you before. It was just like, wow. Content, keep going anyway. When I think of contending, I think of someone in a boxing match. Uh, they take a hit, but they don't say, oh, I, I got hit, I'm done. Years ago, there was a watch called Timex. Some of you might remember, they had a motto, takes a what? A licking and keeps on ticking. Will you keep going even if you deal with some illness? Like Miss Thiessen, whose pastor passed away? That's difficult. The loss of a loved one. Several of you have lost grandparents. It's kind of a, not an unusual thing for college students. We had a man who visited here at West Coast Baptist College some years ago and I knew him connected through some marriage. Uh, his brother-in-law, actually it would be his father-in-law, uh, had been our Spanish pastor here for years. His name was Dan Garlic. And he was married to Joy Garlic. And uh, he had a tremendous ministry in Mexico. And he had some underlying health conditions. And last summer, Robert Murillo passed away. And I was sad to hear that. He had a children's home that I've supported in a modest way every year down in Mexico, never seen it, never been there, Annabella de Rail uh, Children's Home, and they have 40 or 50 kids down there they have who have no parents taking care of them. And uh, I heard about that, and suddenly his sister texted me sometime around Christmas, and I had not heard from her. She was married to someone who taught me in Bible college over 40 years ago, and she just said, wish you and your wife a Merry Christmas. I said, well, thank you, appreciate that. And then I said, I was sorry to hear about your brother. And then she said this, and yes, his wife also. I said, what? You see, Robert Murillo passed away this summer. His wife, Joy, 
died of cancer in November. And they had six kids still at home. Wow. My wife and I did something through Lamb Ministries, which I'm not familiar with, for the kids and continued to support the college. I let my brother know and he wanted to do something for the young people and also do something for the mission. By the way, they had one child who was married with two kids who took the other six kids in. She's in her 20s. Maybe our burdens aren't so big. Could you imagine being in your 20s and having eight children you're responsible for? Six of whom are your siblings? You will go through difficulties, but a contender will keep on going, keep fighting. If you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, I haven't seen it, but I know the song. I won't sing it for you. You know, you know the song. It tells a true story of a born again man by the name of Eric Lydell. How many of you ever seen it or heard the story? That's Eric Lydell right there. He was a great athlete, an Olympic winner. Well, in there, he was from Scotland. He was a Scottish runner and a very, very gifted athlete. Eric Lydell was running in a race. This is shown in the, in the video. It was called a triangular contest between Scotland, Ireland, and England. And in the video, as they take off from the starting line, he's tripped and falls down. It was a one-lap race. It was the 440 back in that day and time. One-fourth of a mile. Folks, those races are very fast. And Eric Lydell did something that's historic to this day. He got up off the ground. It took up, he was about 20 feet behind those other folks. He got up quickly. By the way, that's a great lesson right there. You knock down, get back up. Adjust band, falls seven times and rises yet again. He jumps back up and he takes off 20 feet behind those other folks. Almost 10 yards. Insurmountable in racing. And amazingly, he passes the other runners and wins the race. He collapsed as soon as he finished the tape. It was unbelievable. A short race. He didn't give up. He was a contender. Now think about Eric Lydell. You may have heard the statement, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Uh, those are the contenders. It's been said the test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. We had a young man who attended West Coast Baptist College and his dad was a pastor in the middle of California and been there faithfully, Brother Gibson, for many, many years. And this young man came to our college and he drifted away and dropped out of college and was riding a motorcycle down the San Diego area, a dirt bike. And he hit a hole which catapulted him headfirst off the motorcycle. And when he hit, it severed his spinal column. He's paralyzed from the chest down. His arms work. But he's paralyzed the chest down. For the rest of his life, he's going to be in a wheelchair. At the risk of being overly graphic, for the rest of his life, he'll wear diapers. And God said, I've called you to do something. And he came back to West Coast Baptist College. It certainly wasn't easy. 
He graduated from West Coast Baptist College. And the last time I was preaching for Pastor Gibson, he was leading the music. That's a contender. So let me challenge you. Content. I think the Apostle Paul is an amazing illustration of a contender. If you have read the book of Acts, you read Acts 14, where he went to a city called Lystra. He was not well received. <laughs> they stoned him, left him for dead, and dragged him outside the city. That's verse 19 of chapter 14. In verse 20, he gets up and goes back into the city. Who does that? <laughs> the Apostle Paul. He lived what he preached. No one and nothing was going to keep him out of the race that God had placed him in. Truly a contender. That is why he could say at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse 7. I'll say this kindly, but today I believe we have contenders and we have pretenders. A pretender is concerned with image. They give some commercials that Andre Agassi made years ago. A contender is concerned with integrity. A pretender is, will settle for mediocrity. Good enough. Now I want you to think about this. God talks about being hot or cold. He says the lukewarm, he will spew them out of his mouth. I've got to say the lukewarm is good enough. Pretenders settle for mediocrity. A contender will seek for excellence. A pretender will quit when times get tough. Remember, the test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. But a contender will grow through the challenges. I challenge you to be a contender. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing towards the mark. You ever watch a 100-yard dash? You'll see them stretching to try to hit the tape and break the tape. They're pressing for the mark. So first, winners are contenders. Secondly, this morning, winners will work. Winners will work. I have worked in three mega ministries in my adult life since the time I finished college at the age of 20, started teaching at 21. The three pastors that I work for, Dr. Jack Hiles, Dr. Clarence Sexton, and Dr. Paul Chapel, are very different in a myriad number of ways. But they have one thing very much in common. They all worked. They weren't on cruise control, if you will. The Bible says in verse 25 here in our passage, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Striveth. Striveth. Being a sports fan, I've enjoyed reading about people who have paid a great price for excellence. Going back to when I first started teaching, there was a running back for the Chicago Bears by the name of Walter Payton. His work ethos was remarkable. Later on, the man most considered to be the greatest wide receiver in football was a man by the name of Jerry Rice of the 49ers. He'd have people throw bricks at him, capture, capture the bricks with his hand, to toughen his hand, make his hand stronger, work on his grip. Running up sand dunes, amazing. 
Most of you in your day and time probably have heard about the work ethic of a Kobe Bryant. There's a reason why, although he probably could have had five or six more championships if he and Shaquille could get along, but he couldn't stand the fact that Shaquille O'Neal wouldn't work in the summers. And always would come back to the team 30 or 40 pounds overweight, and they have to play himself back in shape. That just irked him. And he finally said, it's him or me, I'm sick of this. In recent days, and while I totally disagree with his politics, and almost every time he opens his mouth, I want to close my ears, the work ethic of a LeBron James, who was just named for the 18th consecutive year a starter in the All-Star game. By the way, when his season finishes, he says he takes one day off before he starts working out again. These men have something in common. They work. They work. What kind of worker are you? In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the work of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. The day will come when we can't work for the Lord. The day will come when we can no longer reach our pocket, take out a gospel track and say, hey, I've got some good news for you here today. Let me tell you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Witnessing is over when this life is over. We can't serve like that in heaven. We will worship. But let's witness. Let's work. Let's serve while we can. There's an old hymn entitled, Work for the Night is Coming. Listen to the words in the final stanza. Work for the night is coming under the sunset skies. While their bright tents are glowing, work for daylight flies. And that's true. Work till the last beam fadeth, fadeth to shine no more. Work while the night is darkening, when man's work is o'er. I don't know when that time will come. It seems like we're getting very near the time when the Lord will return. I don't know. But we don't know how long we have to work for the Lord. But can I challenge you? Work while you can. Until we reach that finish line of our race, working, working for the Lord is a process that shouldn't stop. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it likens the life and work of a Christian believers to a race. It says, Wherefore, see, we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Back in the day, I would practice running and jumping with ankle weights on. We have two 14-year-old boys who live in our house, and John has a lot of basketball potential. He's much taller than Steve, and I've had him jumping up on the hearth and working on his jumping. I took an old coat I never wore and cut the sleeves off it because in big pockets, it was an old down coat and put weights in the pockets. It says, step up with these weights on. I said, because when you take the weights off, it'll be much easier. And you'll be able to jump much higher. Can I just say this as a Christian? Let's have some introspection. Say, Lord, are there any weights I should lay aside so that I could work better for you? I have a friend here at the college who's finished the Marine Corps boot camp, and 
Their final march, I believe, was 14 miles. They carried a backpack that had 80 pounds in it. And I talked to Dylan before he did that. I told him I'd pray for him. He said, boy, we have to go up this mountain and carry this 80-pound backpack. That's tough. And that was necessary. They wanted to make sure they were in shape. They had to pass this to get through Marine Corps boot camp down in San Diego. But sometimes as a believer, we carry backpacks of weights that we don't need to carry. Maybe it's the weight of too much time on social media that we can remove and have more time to serve the Lord, to prepare to serve the Lord, to memorize Scripture, to read books that will edify us. Maybe it's the weight of too much amusement or wasted time. Maybe it's even the weight of the wrong friends who are not sharpening us. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. If we do that, the Lord will be pleased. Winners will contend. Winners will work. And finally this morning, winners will focus. I like the statement, this one thing I do. Maybe you hear Pastor Chapel say, say, this one thing I do, not these many things I dabble at. I hope your focus is to live for the Lord, walk with the Lord, and to get through college. Focus. Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. This goes directly against our self-indulgent nature. It sounds tough, and you say, that's hard to do, but the Word of God says, with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible, Matthew 19, verse 26. Vince Lombardi said something that I've often thought about. He said, winning is a habit. He said, unfortunately, so is losing. By the way, you can create a new habit in 30 days. Some of you need to create a habit of your daily walk with God. Some of you may need to have a habit of handing out gospel tracts and being a witness. How about having a habit of encouraging others? How about a habit of being thankful? Let's develop the right habits. How do we establish this winning habit? We contend, we work, we focus on the thing that God would have us to do. There was a time back in the old days before your time when we would focus our cameras. I took a lot of pictures for a lot of yearbooks over the years and with the old SLR cameras you'd focus it and you could push the shutter halfway down and it would zoom in on what you wanted to focus on. The thing is that the periphery would be out of focus, but the say, that one person or that key to that picture would be in focus. Focus on the important thing. Don't focus on all the ancillary things that come into our life. There'll be so much talk of the Super Bowl coming up between Cincinnati and the Rams. It'll be the huge news in the days ahead. And tens and tens of millions of people will watch it. But if you say, who won the Super Bowl three years ago? I'm not sure who it was. And we'll show you the Super Bowl. That'll be a great time after church that night. We'll take the commercials, the halftime out. You can watch the game. But how much time do you need to talk about it or think about it the next two weeks? Let's focus on things that are eternal, things that will matter. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 29, Seest thou man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. One day we will stand before our king and we will give an account. That's a great reason to focus on that which is eternal. 
Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3 says, If you did be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Winners say, I have a plan. Losers say, I have an excuse. Winners say, I will do it. Losers say, it's not my job. Winners see solutions and losers see the problems. Winners say it's difficult, but possible. Losers say it's possible, but it's difficult. Winners say, look how big my God is. And losers say, look how big my problem is. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Focus means you pay a price. I have never been to Rome. I've never seen the Sistine Chapel in person. But I do know this. Michelangelo, laying on his back, literally spent four years of painting that ceiling. Incredibly difficult. He was willing to work and pay a price. And 500 years later, people are still bearing and reaping the benefits of his work. I wonder, will we work for something that will last? I took a lot of shots practicing basketball. I went to batting cages, and I want the volleyball team to do better. I just got someone to donate a serving machine for our volleyball team. We're going to get that. It's going to help the team be better next year. It'll serve the ball. They can practice returning it. And excited about that. And it's good. While you're playing basketball, that's awesome. You guys who get to play, it's a great chapter of your life. Give it your best. But can I say this? Let's focus on things that will last. I think of Daniel and his friends. They had decisions. There were personal risks, personal dangers. They would not worship the idol. And Daniel would not cease to pray. So my challenge to you today is don't wait for the perfect situation. I don't think Daniel was in a perfect situation. He was in Babylon. The three Hebrew children were going to be cast into fire, but they persevered. They ran their race. So can I say this? Don't wait for the perfect situation. Don't make excuses, but rather run for victory in your race. I challenge you to contend this semester, to work and to focus so that someday, Lord willing, the Lord could tell you, well done, thou good and faithful servant.